There's a, excuse me, there's a very famous photograph of Billy Graham preaching. Some of you may have seen it over the last week or so. Uh, he's preaching at a Youth for Christ rally very early in his career. And he's wearing a suit and tie, and he looks very conservative, he looks very dignified. But in reality, uh, that day, he was actually wearing a canary yellow suit and a psychedelic multicolored tie. You just can't see it because the photographs in black and white. Uh, the, the clothes that he was wearing today, that day, even though we can't see it in the picture now, that tells, tells us something about what Billy Graham was like. He wanted to communicate the gospel he was preaching to the audience he was preaching to without any barriers. And so I guess it was his way of connecting with the kids, I guess. Um, so wear that canary yellow suit. But the clothes we wear say something about who we are. If you've got a Carolina logo on your clothing somewhere, more than likely you're a Carolina fan. Okay, Our clothing says something about who we are. Uh, in the passage that we're about to read this morning, the Apostle Paul points us to certain virtues that are like clothes that the believer in Jesus Christ ought to wear. Uh, We ought to wear clothing. We ought to have virtues that we put on that are in keeping with who we actually are. And we want to wear clothing that actually points the people around us to a better way of doing life. Uh, In the midst of a culture that's filled with fighting uh, and tribalism, we want to demonstrate peace and forgiveness and bearing with one another. Uh, In a world of self-promotion, we want to demonstrate humility. In a world of despair, I was just hearing this week about the the record number of heroin overdoses that are happening. And And I heard someone say, you know, in the 80s, the drugs of choice were all uppers, and now they're all downers. Because there's so much despair. In the midst of that world of despair, we want to demonstrate hope. And these virtues, these clothes that we wear are not just for you or I as individuals to put on, but they are virtues that we as a congregation put on. Because uh, among other things, as we talk about doing evangelism, it's not just me by myself or you by yourself doing evangelism. It's us doing evangelism. And we do that by the quality of our life together, which is shown in these virtues that we put on. So this morning we're going to ask, what are these clothes we're, going to, we're supposed to put on? Uh, and how can I be a person who actually wants to put them on? So Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This is God's Word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. 
Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray together. Father, I pray now that You would meet with us and that You would speak uh, through Your Word, uh, speak through the words that I am about to speak. Father, would You uh, use these words to edify us and equip us uh, and to change us and to make us people who uh, want to dress in this way. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, for those of you who maybe weren't here last week and you're looking at this text, last week we talked about the clothes you're supposed to put off. If you want to go listen to that sermon sometime. Uh, this week we're talking about the clothes that you're supposed to put on as a believer in Jesus Christ. So the first thing we're going to ask is, alright, how are we supposed to dress? How are we supposed to dress as believers in Jesus Christ? And there's a bunch of these, and I'm just going to hit each one of these briefly. First of all, uh, we're told to put on compassionate hearts. To put on compassionate hearts. That can also be translated tender-hearted mercy. Uh, tender-hearted mercy. Luke 6, Jesus tells us to be merciful as our Heavenly Father is merciful. Uh, there's a, a song in, uh, There's a line in the song, Pretty Girl from Chile, uh, by the Avid Brothers on their album Emotionalism, which is still their best album. Uh, but, but where they sing, My heart is like a mason's tanned, excuse me, my heart is like a mason's hands of weathered skin. My heart is like a mason's hands of weathered skin. And you, you think about the picture that paints. Um, uh, saying that my heart has been beat up. It has been hardened by life. So that it's, it's hard for me to feel anymore. It's hard for me to hurt. It's hard for me to love. A tender heart is the opposite of that picture. It's a heart that's been softened by the mercy of God. It's a heart that's filled with mercy and compassion, not impatience and irritability. It's a compassionate heart. Secondly, uh, we're told to put on kindness. Kindness. Uh, I read recently, and I don't know if this is true, that Harvard is actually emphasizing kindness on their applications for admission. Now, I don't know sure how you communicate kindness. Maybe you put smiley faces on your application. Um, and, you know, that's, it, we might be tempted to mock that, thinking, oh, they're just recruiting a bunch of snowflakes or whatever. They're just looking for soft people to be here. But, but kindness is a biblical virtue. It's a, it's, a, it's a virtue that we are to clothe ourselves in and it bears fruit when we practice it. Uh, I was reading recently that one of the main indicators of a satisfying marriage and successful marriage is if the spouses are actually practicing kindness to one another. 
Uh, here's kindness. Uh, the author Beth Dunnington tells a story of being in the Los Angeles airport, and she sees this toddler that is just melting down. And a pregnant mom is, is with her toddler. The, the kid won't even get on the plane. He's just laying in the floor crying and pitching a fit. The mom is sitting in the floor crying. All right? she's, just, she's just done. She can't do anything with her. And Beth said that almost spontaneously, six or seven women went up and surrounded this woman. And one of them began to sing Itsy Bitsy Spider. And one of them peeled an orange for the kid. And another one found the sippy cup. And another one went and got some bottled water for the mom. And another one had a toy. And they just surrounded this woman with love. And that's kindness. That's kindness. Some of you may just say, that's just a mom that's been there. And that's mercy. Uh, but these kind of overlap. All right? They, they, they kind of overlap. All right? Do you... Do you interact with others in a, in a kind way? Do you practice kindness? Do you speak to one another in kind ways? Uh, thirdly, humility. Uh, I've always thought the best definition of humility is hum- humility is not thinking too much of yourself or too little of yourself. But humility is thinking of yourself less. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Uh, Philippians 2, we're told, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Uh, Jordan Bohannon, uh, Mr. Bohannon as his friends call him, and only like three of you will get that joke. But Jordan Bohannon is a basketball player for the Iowa Hawkeyes. And he recently hit 34 free throws in a row. And he was one free throw from breaking the all-time school record at Iowa. And so he, he goes to the line this past week to, to shoot a free throw, and he missed it on purpose. About to break the record, and he missed it on purpose. Now, why did he miss a free throw on purpose? Well, because the person who held the record of that school is a guy named Chris Street, who was a legendary Iowa basketball player, and he was actually killed in a car accident when he was 20 years old. And Jordan Bohannon thought that it would be better for Chris Street to have that record than for him to have that record. That, that's humility. In humility, consider others better, more important than yourselves. What's that look like when we interact with each other? When you're having game night at your house and you're trying to pick a game or trying to pick what you're going to watch on television. Uh, what's that look like when you interact with people in the world every day? What's it look like when you... When we drive, what's humble driving? You guys can think about that for a while. But but, but we're called to practice humility. Humility. Uh, Fourthly here, meekness. Meekness. Uh, I I don't know what you all think about when you hear meekness. I I think of somebody kind of cowering in a corner. Uh, Bobby Knight once said uh, that the meek may well inherit the earth, but they will rarely get rebounds. Um, famous basketball coach for Indiana. And, you know, we, 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 when we think of meek, we think fear and compromise and weak and docile. But, but Jesus was meek, right? And Jesus was also the one who cleared the temple. So we might think of meekness more in these terms. It's the quality of not being overly impressed by one's sense of, of one's importance, of one's self-importance. It's, it's the exact opposite of kind of a self-confident swagger. Okay? That, would, that would be meekness. Fifthly, uh, patience. Uh, Paul Miller, you guys know, I love his book, A Praying Life. He's also worked as a um, part-time tax accountant. 
he said one year in tax season he came in and was he didn't have a client showing up till 11:30 and he got in at eight to get some stuff done ahead of time and he sat down at his computer and he was going to delete a file and he accidentally clicked delete all shared files and so now he's scrambling to try to fix this and by 11:30 he still hasn't fixed it so he walks past his 11:30 appointment says I'll be right back he goes home gets a backup disk that doesn't work goes home a little bit later to get a backup computer to bring that back and he says as he passed the the customer she was just waiting there with no signs of impatience and when he walked back in he said she was just sitting there serenely not complaining at all and that when he finally did her tax return at three o'clock she was still fine and she never complained at all uh, she had taken the bus, and so he offered to give her a ride home. And he, he said this was a point in his life when he was really going through a lot of depression and was struggling. And he kind of thought this lady might have been a believer. And so finally he just blurts out to her, does Jesus make any difference in your life? And she says, Jesus is everything to me. Jesus is everything to me. Why, why am I so impatient? Maybe it's because Jesus, Jesus isn't everything to me Uh, but my time is everything to me Um, maybe my impatience flows from the fact that I'm not humble and tender hearted towards the people who aren't fast enough for me and aren't serving me in the way I would like them to serve me we're called to be patient patient Um, number six we're to bear with one another on Facebook, we sometimes unfollow or unfriend another person that if we just can't bear with them any longer, and I know you all have done this, you're like, I, all right, I, I can't have this in my feed anymore. This is just toxic. I'm, I'm not dealing with this. In the church, that's not really an option. We can't unfollow or unfriend each other. We don't get to do that. There, there will be people in this congregation that rub you the wrong way, who talk too much, who don't talk enough, who are awkward, who are annoying, and that's just me. We haven't talked about Coleman yet. You know, that's just um, that, you know. There's just people that, that you're not going to click with because this church is is filled with sinners. It's filled with difficult people, and we have to remind ourselves, okay. I'm a difficult person, and God has borne with me, and I have to bear with other people. Uh, number seven, forgiveness. So now we're going, we're going past bearing with to actually forgiving people who have sinned against you. And if forgiveness is a virtue that the body of Christ is supposed to practice, that means that other people in this room are going to sin against you. That means that other people who are members of Grace Presbyterian Church, we're not always going to treat each other the way we're supposed to treat each other. We're not always going to treat each other with humility and patience and love. And what that means is when someone doesn't treat you the way you would like to be treated, that doesn't mean you find another church where there aren't any sinners who are going to treat you like that because there's not one. That doesn't mean you kind of withdraw and say, I'm just not going to put myself out like that anymore. No, this is the place that we're supposed to show forgiveness. And what that is is an opportunity for you and I to practice forgiveness. I mean, 
you think about it, we're supposed to demonstrate forgiveness to the watching world. We, you know, we kind of got to sin in order to do that. I'm not advocating sin, but I think like that comes with it, right? We're going to sin, and we're supposed to demonstrate for forgiveness, and so we have to not abandon other people or run away from other people when they sin against us. We have to forgive them, drop the matter, not bring it up again, not hold it against them. Uh, eighth virtue here uh, is love. Verse 14, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together. It's, the, it's, it's that piece of the outfit that makes it all, that makes it all work. If I'm going to be tenderhearted and kind and humble and meek, uh, if I'm going to bear with you, if I'm going to forgive you, I've got to actually love you. Uh, think about that. The, the people that you gather together with each week, are they just people that you go to church with? Or are they people that you actually love? Are they people that you actually love? We have to love one another. Number nine, uh, in verse 15, we're to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. You know, in a society that's contentious and litigious and always turning against each other, we're to practice peace. Uh, we ought to be able to be we ought to be able to disagree without being disagreeable. We ought to practice peace. Number ten, thankful. And he says it like three times. It's a big deal. You know, there is there is, and, and I've recently experienced this. There is nothing quite like the thankfulness you feel when you've been sick a long time and start to feel better, or you, you've been hurting a long time and, and you don't hurt anymore, or you've been out of work and, and you're able to return to work again. It, it gives you a very thankful and appreciative look on life. But man, you guys know like that, that has a, sometimes that has a limited shelf life and it's easy to become cynical again, right? And it's easy to get grumpy again and it's easy to get irritable again and discontent. So I think part of what we're seeing here is we have to make a conscious effort to practice thankfulness. And to be thankful. You know, when you're getting up, getting ready to go to work, you're like, I really don't want to go to work today. To, to practice thankfulness in that moment. When you've been dealing with screaming kids all day, to be able to, to practice thankfulness for the things that you have. When you have these conflicts in your life that are just overwhelming you, to be able to stop in the midst of that and practice thankfulness and, and thank God for the blessings that He gives us. And then number 11, and there is going to be a quiz that's actually what the congregational meeting is. We're going to practice saying all these over. Um, number 11, and, I, and I'm, I'm going back in the text a little bit with this one. We need to put a Jesus identity on over our tribal identity. All right? And if you can think of a better way to say that than, than all ears. But, but verse 11, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. In here, as, as hard as it may be to put into practice, there should be no black or white, rich or poor, cool or uncool, uh, Democrat or Republican, Clemson or Carolina. None of that should be dividing us. We may be all of those things. Those may be part of our identity. But this ought to be the place, this church ought to be the body where we can come together and those things that normally would divide us don't divide us, don't separate us. Because we know that we all have in common 
that we are sinners and that we need a Savior and that we have that Savior in Jesus Christ. And so we are together united in Christ. Jesus ought to be our primary identity. That that's the thing that unites us. I heard the story this past week that that Billy Graham at one of his crusades during the era of segregation actually walked down front and there was a rope separating black from white and he actually removed that rope that divided. that's That's what Christ has done. He's removed the rope that divides us from God and He's removed those ropes that divide us from one another. We'll mention this in the congregational meeting later, but I would just encourage you to to pray that our church would more and more reflect the diversity of this city. Uh, That we would reflect that these lines that divide us in so many ways are actually taken down in the gospel. And that people of different cultures and races and all kind of political views can actually be one in this body of Christ. Um, we may just make baby steps at doing that, but that's okay. Let, let's make sure we're putting our Jesus identity over and above our various tribal identities. All right, those are, those are the clothes we're supposed to wear. That's what you got in your closet that you're supposed to be pulling out. How do we become someone who actually wants to put these on? How do I become someone who, who, who goes to the closet and wants to pull out these virtues instead of the ones that Paul tells us earlier we're supposed to get rid of? Uh, two things. Number one, we have to understand our new identity in Christ. Look at, look at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. Notice that first part. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Uh, if, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are chosen by God, set apart for God, loved by God, and forgiven by God. And that's, that's your fundamental identity. And the, the more you understand that, the more sense it will make to dress in these clothes. Um, this year for the NBA All-Star Game, and I know this is a third basketball illustration, but it, we are upon March Madness, so you've got to bear with me. But, but this year for the NBA All-Star Game, instead of having the Eastern Conference versus the Western Conference, which they've always done, they let the two top vote-getters, LeBron James and Steph Curry, they basically let them pick teams. Okay, so from all the people the fans had elected or whoever votes on that had elected, they, they picked teams from those guys. And Russell Westbrook, who plays for Oklahoma City, when he saw the list come out, he thought he had been picked last on his team. And those of y'all who know him will understand this, but he was really upset about this. He was really bummed that he had been picked last for, by the All-Star team, by LeBron James. Actually, he hadn't. They were just putting the names in alphabetical order, and Westbrook was at the end. But, but he was upset. Like He was like one of us who, if we were playing letter later, got left out or picked last for the team. We're like, oh, why am I always picked last? Okay, That's how we, we think of choosing. Like There was something bad about me, so I was chosen last. Usually when we think of being chosen for something, we think, 
oh, it's based on my abilities. And I got picked because I'm good at this and I deserved to be chosen. And it, and it fills us with pride, right? This idea of being chosen. I, I did something good and, and I was recognized for it. But what if you were chosen when you didn't have any talent? What if, what if you were chosen when you should have been left off the team? What if you were chosen when you actually didn't deserve it? In Deuteronomy 7, God says to His people, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers. In the the New Testament, Paul tells us this in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. And then Ephesians 2, verse 1, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And then verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Y'all, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's because God opened your eyes to see the beauty of the gospel message. God chose to grant you faith so that you could see the gospel and believe the gospel and rest by faith on Jesus Christ. And knowing that should not make you prideful at all. That shouldn't cause you to look down on other people or feel superior to people who don't believe the same thing that you or I believe. That should instead make you incredibly humble. That I was chosen when I absolutely did not deserve it. I was rescued when I was dead in my sins. And it was God didn't look at me and say, oh, there's a, that guy's great. I'm going to rescue him. He saved me in spite of my sin. So it ought to, this makes us humble, this being chosen by God. And not only are we chosen, we're forgiven. Uh, you guys may have heard the story during the Olympics that 30 years ago, South Korea was getting ready to, to host another Olympics game. And Kim Hung-hui uh, was a North Korean agent. And North Korea was, was mad about South Korea hosting the games. And so she was ordered to go on an airliner that was filled with South Koreans and to leave a bomb to, to blow up this plane. And so she walked onto a plane with a bomb disguised as a Panasonic radio she left it in the overhead bin. She got off the plane at a layover. That plane took back off. It blew up over some ocean, and 115 people died on that plane. They figured out who did it. She was arrested. Uh, she was eventually sentenced to death. But then the next year, the president of South Korea pardoned her. Pardoned her. 
Uh, he said she was a, a tool who had been manipulated by the real perpetrators and he, he pardoned her. Uh, she apologized publicly. She wrote a book called Tears of My Soul and she gave the proceeds to the victims of that terrorist attack. She now lives in South Korea. She's 56. She's married. She has two kids. And she attends church. But she said this, Can my sins be pardoned? They probably won't be. They probably won't be. Uh, Think of the forgiveness that the South Korean president extended to her. And it's said that really the South Korean culture in general has extended to her. And, and I don't know what they're teaching at the church she's going to, but I know there are a lot of Christians in South Korea, so I, I imagine, I'm going to guess they're actually teaching the gospel, but she's having a hard time hearing it and believing that it could be really, really be true for her. And some of us may have a hard time believing that it would really be true for her, and that just points out our own self-righteousness, that it could be true for me, but that's, that's a bit, she's gone a little bit too far for Jesus to be able to save her. Because, y'all, the, the gospel is big enough for Kim Hung Wee. And that means the gospel is also big enough for you. The gospel is big enough for you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, whether it was 20 years ago or 20 minutes ago, your sins are not too big for Jesus to handle. And if you've come to Him, no matter what those sins are, those sins, as we Coleman talked about in the Confession and Forgiveness, those sins are absolutely forgiven in Christ. You are a forgiven sinner. No matter how you may feel about yourself. You're chosen and you're forgiven. That's your fundamental identity now. And if, if, if we actually got that, if I walked around every day going, I was chosen in spite of the fact that I was a sinner and then God chose to forgive me my sins, that would really make me humble patient and kind and meek and forgiving. You see how these fits together? How these fit together? As I see who I am in Christ, then these these virtues just, they, they flow out of that. They ought to flow out of that. In Christ, you are chosen and forgiven and loved. Uh, Susan has got our family watching uh, Dr. Norell and Jonathan Strange. And I don't know if anybody's ever heard of this. It's actually kind of fun. Dr. Norell and Jonathan Strange. It's about the recovery of magic in England in... And it's fiction. Uh, it's about the recovery of magic in England in the... Uh, 1500s? 1600s? No. It's not. I, it, it was pre-1970. That's all I know. Uh, 1810. They're like... It's costumes. I don't know what year it is. Anyway. Dr. I didn't know there was going to be a quiz on it. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Norell is this magician, uh, and he wants to be recognized by everybody as the one who brought English magic back, kind of. And so at some point in the, one of the episodes we were watching recently, he had a chance to kind of go off and do some magic that nobody was really going to notice, or at least the important people weren't going to notice it. And he didn't want to do it. He's like, no, they, they've got to see it when I do it. That was the way he felt validated. That was the way he felt loved. That was the way he felt approved of. He was doing it for the applause. He was doing it to get an identity. 
in Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are loved. You are treasured. You, you don't have to find that by performing for other people or by, by performing for yourself or anybody. Chosen, loved, forgiven, set apart. Set apart. Think of an engaged couple. The, the groom that's been set aside for that, set apart for that bride. The bride that's been set apart for that husband. Believer in Jesus Christ, you're set apart for God. For God. You have enormous value. You have been set apart for God. So, so do not despair if the world does not value you. If the people around you do not value you. If, if you feel like your parents don't value you. God valued you so much that He sent His only Son to die for you, to set you apart for Himself. We have to know our identity, and these virtues flow out of knowing our identity. Now, last thing, we have to recharge our identity, and I'll, I'll do this quickly. If you got a phone, which we all pretty much have a phone, that phone has to be recharged, right? Right, and, and if it's a recent iPhone, you have to recharge like every 10 minutes, I guess, because they haven't fixed them. Anyway, you, you, that phone has to be recharged. That phone has to be recharged because the battery runs down. We have to have our identity in Christ recharged. Because we, what do we do throughout the week? We forget who we are. I forget who I am in Christ. I forget that I'm chosen and loved and set apart and forgiven. And so I have to be recharged. I have to be reminded of who I am. How do we do that? Verse 16, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. How are we recharged? How do we remember who we are? We take up the Word. And we meditate on the Word. And we speak the Word. We speak words of encouragement to one another. And we sing to one another. And we sing with one another. And we point one another to our identity in Christ. We hear one another confess our sins and say, yes, that's true. And and, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. But know that in Christ you are forgiven. There is no condemnation for you. Remember who you are in Christ, chosen and loved and set apart and forgiven. Um, It's obvious that that one of the places that we are recharged is in this gathering, by coming together for worship. So let me just encourage you to be be regular in coming, to be recharged and be reminded uh, of of who you are in Christ. Um, The Sabbath sanctifies us. It reminds us who we are in Christ. But all this forgiving and all this stuff, uh, all of this being reminded of of who we are in Christ, that takes place in the context of relationships with other people in this room. Of other people who are part of this body of Christ. And so I kind of want to press you here to say, are, are you taking the time to develop those relationships? To, to work out, to have a place where you can actually demonstrate these virtues and a place where you can encourage and, and admonish one another if needed. But are you taking time to develop these relationships? And, and along with that, I would encourage you, if, if you're not a part of a community group, to strongly consider becoming a part of a community group. 
Uh, we've got two. We're getting ready to add a third one, uh, probably on a weeknight. There are, there are opportunities to do that. I've, I've never had anybody come to me and say, I really don't feel connected to the church if they are really plugged into a community group. So I'd encourage you to look at being part of a community group or, or coming to that men's prayer time or coming to the women's uh, book club. It's, it's in community. Like This is not just like theoretical. It's in relationship with one another that we demonstrate these virtues. It's in community that you put on compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. It's in community that you bear with one another and forgive one another and love one another. It's in community where you allow the peace of Christ to rule in your hearts, where you practice thanksgiving, where you learn what your identity in Jesus Christ is, where you learn that it's more important than all your tribal identities. And it's in community that you are told and you are shown that you are chosen and loved and forgiven and set apart for God. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that we would more and more know who we are and that we would remind one another of who we are and that you would remind us who we are through the the preaching of your word and and through the sacrament that we are about to partake of And, and Father as we know who we are would you cause these virtues to naturally flow out of that and would you cause a, a watching world to see that and to take notice of that and to be drawn even to you? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.